This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Well, thank you, everybody, for coming to our panel today here. This is Achieving Member Liftoff, how your favorite podcast company memberships got, got their memberships off the ground. So we're really excited. We have a fun panel here today to sort of share some of their fun strategies and things that they've done in order to get their membership programs off the ground and hopefully share some of that wisdom with you here that we have today as well. So really excited for this. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. So. We'll do some quick introductions as well, too. Sort of the whole thing, we'll do, um, go through some questions and then we'll leave some time for Q&A at the end as well, okay? So first sitting next to me here is Heather Fain. Heather Fain is the CMO of Pushkin Industries, the home of podcasts such as The Revisionist History and The Happiness Lab, and audiobooks such as The Bomber Mafia by Malcolm Gladwell. Prior to joining Pushkin, Heather was in book publishing where she worked on all of Gladwell's books and was a wide, in a wide range of best-selling authors, including David Sedaris, Donna Tart, Elaine Hildebrandt, and Michael Connolly. So everyone please welcome Heather to the stage. <laughs> Sitting next to Heather, we have Lita Meritz. Lita Meritz is the program manager at NPR's podcast subscriptions and part of their new network growth team. She joined NPR in January and works closely with colleagues across the organization to set the planning and strategy for growing this critical part of NPR's portfolio. Lita came to NPR from Apple, where she spent four years as part of the Apple Podcast editorial team. And prior to Apple, she worked at a startup called Pop-Up Archive that was developing tools to make audio searchable. Everyone, please welcome Lita to the thing. Sitting next to Lita is David Stern, and David Stern is the founder and CEO of Supporting Cast, the leading podcast membership platform. Previously, as Slate's Vice President of Product Development, David helped create Slate Plus and grow it to 50,000 members. In 2019, David led the creation of Supporting Cast to allow other top podcasters, help other top podcasters build large-scale membership programs of their own. The platform, platform now works with seven of the top 25 podcast networks to sell and deliver exclusive benefits along with leading independent shows and audiobook publishers. Please welcome David to the stage. All right, and last but not least, we have Ray Chow. Ray leads the podcast business at Vox Media and as the general manager of audio, overseeing podcast, podcast strategy, growth, and partnerships. Most recently, he led the acquisitions of Criminal Productions and Preet Bharara's Cafe Studios, strategic partnerships with Longform, Gastropod, and MKBHD's Waveform, podcast franchise expansions into video, subscriptions in terrestrial radio, and talent deals with Kara Swisher, Noel King, Sam Sanders, and Ariel Helwani. He previously led corporate strategy with New York Public Radio and was a management consultant for Olivia Wyman. Oliver Wyman, excuse me. Please welcome Ray. So, I'm sort of a sucker for this. I'm going to throw this out there. Most people hate me at corporate retreats because I absolutely love icebreakers, and I think it's one of the greatest things that's ever been created. So you guys don't have to deal with me here. So a quick question I want to ask all of you, because you guys are all in podcast memberships, but if you had to have a subscription to a podcast that's not in your portfolio, what would it be and why? I guess, who wants to start? Heather, you got a, do you have an answer for this? Um, 
I don't know if I do have it. This is hard. I'm like, I don't have an answer. If I had a subscription to someone else, um, you know what? I think it probably, I'll say it probably would be an NPR property. I listen to Up First every single day, so I would cool. have a subscription to that because that just is the way that I start my day. I love and it. I'm, I know I'm not alone. So That's all right. Perfect, perfect. And Lita, what about you if you had a subscription? Um, I, too, am going to pick a, a panel show, which is Criminal. Listen every week. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would love to do that. Nice. Uh, I'm going to rule out any of supporting cast clients. Uh, oh, is that it? <laughs> you may be a little biased. Um, I will say uh, uh, my, my favorite show these days is uh, a Spotify or Gimlet show, uh, How to Save a Planet. Um, unfortunately, it's only available on Spotify. They do have a membership that I haven't actually joined because it's only ad-free. There's no bonus content. A little teaser of uh, yeah. my message for the day. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big public radio fan and I've uh, been a you know, a uh, sustaining member of a lot of different public radio stations, so I would choose an NPR or local member station uh, subscription. Okay. All right. I love it. I love it. Well, cool. Well, excited to get started here. Like, again, I said, our goal is to sort of keep this very casual for everybody and sort of have an open conversation about podcast memberships and hopefully give everybody here some actionable strategies and things that you can take for your own business going out of here. Um, there will be time for audience, que audience questions in the end, so we'll leave about 10 minutes or so for that first. So if you have any questions, we'll make sure to wrap those up. And of course, panelists, feel free to engage amongst yourselves, have some fun, we're all good. But want to start too, so I guess sort of the, the quick question I'd love to know with everybody is like if you could explain a little bit sort of about what your membership offering is today and some of the, like the cost and benefits that you offer for it. Um, Ray, why don't we start with you on your side? Yeah, so Vox Media is a portfolio of a bunch of different media brands and our strategy is rather than have a bundled, you know, Vox Media Plus or Vox Media subscription product, we're building products that are very uh, show specific and brand specific. And the, the one that we have operating right now came through an acquisition, which is Cafe. Um, it's Preet Bharara's podcast company. They started their podcast subscription, I think in 2018. It was pretty early in the broader land, like broader sort of history of podcast subscriptions. And they grew that over time. They joined Vox Media a little over a year ago, and we've been operating that um, subscription product since then. And that's really inspired us at Vox mm -hmm. Media to think really long and hard about how uh, and which shows and which brands we want to bring additional subscription products to market with. So, you know, we've been in a lot of conversation with supporting cast and other folks about, you know, what shows we should do next and what those products should be. Um, but, you know, right now, Cafe for us is our main subscription product. Right. And then what can you talk a little bit about, like, what the cost of it is and, like, some of the benefits that are offered? Yeah, for it's it? a great question. So uh, Cafe, uh, the subscription, we call it Cafe Insider. There's exclusive audio content. There's exclusive newsletter content. And then you also get invites to, you know, periodic virtual events. And that is $50 for your first year, $70 for your um, second year, and after and you know, there's monthly and annual plans available, and that's been roughly the same price for the last few years. Okay, and the price is, what is the price again? $50 for your first year, 70 yeah. for your renewal. Got it, okay. And David, what about for, uh, for Slate? Yeah, so just to be clear, I'll be wearing my Slate hat mostly mm -hmm. today, uh, where I was for eight years. These days I'm mostly focused on supporting cast, but uh, I'll be talking about sort of the you know, creation and evolution of Slate Plus. Um, so uh, Slate, Plus launched, I think it's the oldest of the membership offerings out there in 2014. Uh, it was at the time $5 a month or $49 a year. 
Um, and the benefits, well, there were a lot of benefits initially, but uh, I mean, it evolved to be very podcast-centric for, uh, you know, over time. And uh, we were offering ad-free versions of all Slate shows, bonus segments tied to some of our most popular shows, bonus episodes tied to like Slow Burn and some of our uh, um, more seasonal shows. Um, and uh, the, the price has gone up gradually over time uh, since then, and we've added more benefits. There was a, a paywall was launched on Slate, so like some non-audio benefits that were pretty important. And now it is, there's no monthly option, it's just $119 a year. Just the annual option. Perfect. Thank you. And Lita, what about at NPR? What's the, sort of the cost and benefits of everything today? Yeah, so at NPR, all of our shows are available on a show-level subscription only. So if you love Code Switch or you love Planet Money, um, you would have to buy an individual subscription to each of those. Um, those are $2.99 a month or $29.99 a year. Um, and we have those across 14 different shows in our portfolio right now. So not, not all of them, but uh, nearly all of them that are either always on or, or almost always on. And later this year, we will be releasing the same suite of shows, but in a bundle product mm -hmm. um, that will only be available for purchase through our own owned and operated website. Uh, and that will be $8 a month or $96 a year. Nice. Yeah. Good deal for all the shows. I think so, too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all right. And Heather, what about Ed Pushkin? What's the current subscription model today in price and everything? So um, at Pushkin, we are a relatively new company, right? So we've just been around for about three years. We've got 30 shows, roughly. Um, and the Pushkin Plus subscription is access to ads-free listening, um, a week early window on most of those shows and subscriber bonus content. Um, we have a version that's available on Apple Podcast subscriptions, and we also sell a version directly for which is hosted or supported by Supporting Cast. Um, and the price is $4.99 a month and $39.99 for a year. Got it. Okay. All right, thank you. So I guess, you know, and sort of like that, sort of establishing the baseline of where we're at today. So a lot of the point of this panel is to talk about how to get to be a successful membership. And you guys have all proven successful over the year here, but I would love to go back to sort of like the beginning, like when you were first starting out your membership offering, you know, how did you make that decision to start, you know, a membership program with for your networks or shows, you know, maybe like some of the primary driving factors for it, or if there was like some actual key decision points that went into it, if that makes sense. Um, say, Heather, you want to start? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, sure, I'm happy to. Yeah. Um, so when the company was founded, like, um, uh, our co-founders are Malcolm Gladwell and Jacob Weisberg. They always wanted us and felt very strongly that a healthy business was not going to be entirely supported or dependent on ads. So we have always wanted to have a, you know, a variety of revenue streams. And for us, that was always going to include subscription in some way, shape, or form. Um, but also, we, um, we are also in the audiobooks business. So we were also always going to have a paid product in the form of an audiobook. So um, we actually launched audiobooks first. Mm -hmm. um, and then sort of the idea of subscription still percolating, and we always knew we were going to do it. And really, the launch on Apple was the thing that gave us like a launch date target. We were um, partner launch partners with Apple in that project, which was a great boost for us. Yeah. And um, and that's really what sort of kicked it all off. We launched last June with Apple, and then we launched our um, direct offering in November. Got it. Okay. And so this was something that was always part of it, it from, was from the inception. The yeah, Got it. in the vision. So I guess, Lita, I would love to know, from NPR's perspective, like how did you arrive at sort of a membership program and like what was, um, you know, what did you first do to make that decision? Yeah, like Heather said, um, Apple's timing was certainly like the push, the instigator to mm -hmm. uh, really make it happen. 
But uh, public radio has long been supported by various different revenue streams, yeah. um, including people giving to their local member stations. So we, we have always been in the business of making something for free that a very small number of people chose to support financially. So for that reason, I think uh, the leap into subscriptions really didn't feel actually that, that wild. Yeah. Um, it felt like a pretty natural extension of what we had already been doing and also hearing directly from our listeners that they want to support the shows that they love. Got it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's cool. I'm going to skip you, Dave. I'm going to go down to Ray, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Ray, what about at Vox? What's the yeah, so, so let's talk a little bit about CAFE and just say that, you know, for, for us at Vox today and for CAFE back then, the, the question was really, do we have a really clear product that we feel good to take to market and sell as a standalone subscription that we're going to ask people to pay 50 bucks a year, 70 bucks a year to pay for. Um, it can't just be, you know, in our view, it can't just be ad free or it can't just be the fuzzy feeling of supporting a show. We want to bring something really unique and differentiated and has a really clear pitch to market. And so Preet's Pre Barrara's main podcast called Stay Tuned was this weekly, well-produced interview show where Preet would interview someone and then talk a little bit about, you know, answer some questions from listeners. And he always had this idea of he wanted to have a more loose chat show about the latest legal and political news of the week. And, of course, there's a world where he could have launched that in a new feed and made that ad-supported. Mm -hmm. But in the early days of that company, they realized that they had a really clear pathway to say, hey, let's, we already did that with the main interview show. Let's try to do a subscription product for this second show. And they started the subscription product, you know, really oriented around that weekly chat show. And that's been from what we've been hearing from our listeners and our subscribers, having that really clear product of what I'm paying for is access to listen to this weekly show, and there's other ancillary benefits around it, but I'm really paying and tuning into this thing has been really helpful for driving and retaining subscribers. Interesting. That's really good. Now, and was this, you know, it sounds like this was a really well thought out decision. Like, were there internal champions or things like that? Like, how did you get that through, like, to get this out the door? Like, what was some of the rules? Yeah, I think, I mean, at the end of the day, we're driven by the same sorts of um, dynamics that Heather's talking about, yeah. which is, you know, real interest in revenue diversification, recognition that the ads business can be cyclical, and also a recognition that a lot of advertisers don't want to be around political content. Like, yeah. you know, there's a world where Cafe could have launched that, what we, what we call the insider podcast as an ad-supported show, but we know that there are a lot of clients and advertisers out there who just simply aren't interested in advertising on the show because it's politics, even though it's high quality, even though there's an engaged audience. And so as a way to experiment and get around that, we really focused on subscriptions for that product. Cool. Thank you. And I guess, yeah, and David, hopping over to you, we want to know some slate side of things. Like, can you go ahead. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, revenue diversification, I think, was, was number one. Um, Jacob Weisberg, who is now Pushkin CEO, was then uh, uh, Slate CEO. Um, and, you know, we were just seeing, you know, revenue would go up 50% or down 50% from advertising uh, in any given year. And um, it's just really hard to build a sustainable business on that model. Um, so, uh, and, you know, the, the podcast sort of centricity of it was really, you know, 
the podcasts were a labor of love for Slate for many of it. You know, I think the first Slate podcast was in 2006, and there was not much revenue attached to them. The, the ad market was uh, not yet very developed, and so you know we were like throwing ideas against the wall, and uh, so the uh, podcast just seemed like we have this big audience. There, we're not making any money from them. What what could we do that they might pay for? Yeah. And I guess sort of building on, building on this, David, like follow-up question to this, and love to hear this from everybody as well, is that, you know, when you first launched Slate Plus, like, did you have, like, goals built into that? Were there, like, specific goals that were established? Like, how did you arrive at these? Was it revenue targets, member targets, things like that? Yeah, we had a, a loose member target of 10,000 members in our first year, and I think we got, you know, 80 or 90 percent of the way there. Um, so I think, I think we were happy with that, and, and it, you know, it's now, you know, 20 times that or something. I mean, yeah. not in terms of revenue, it's 20 times the revenue of the first year. Like, it, it's just grown, uh, you know, into a really meaningful revenue line over time. Yeah, great. And then, I guess, Lita, maybe at NPR, was there, like, goals and stuff in place when you when they first started this program? And, like, how did you arrive at those goals? The decision to launch the subscription actually predates my time at NPR. Yeah. Um, I do know that, you know, modeling and work was done around that. Um, but I think uh, we already had some intel on that in terms of just knowing, you know, what the... Uh, member bases supporting local stations. Um, and then we also have some idea of, you know, how much inventory tends not to get sold, right? And sort of thinking about keeping both sides of the ledger in terms of subscriptions and inventory sales, you know, trying to keep that in balance, basically. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, like probably most organizations that have managed to get subscriptions off the ground, it's really been um, out of a willingness of people to take a chance and try, right? Because it is it is kind of scary. It is yeah. it is the long term. I'm sure you're going to get to this in your questions, but like it's not a switch that you turn on and <laughs> and then it's done and then you step back and move on to something else. Right. Yeah. Um, maintaining this. Yeah. So having that having that buy-in and thinking about it as a long-term project, I think, uh, has been really essential. It's awesome. And I guess yeah. And is there anything in pushing like in terms of like setting goals? Yes, I would say that we definitely set goals, and I will say that we set goals that were like way too ambitious, and the and that's actually kind of a thing we do. Um, uh, but <laughs> Not a bad keeps, problem. Keeps everybody working. Yeah. Um, but I, um, we, you know, we didn't really know like what would that opportunity look like, and we didn't know. Uh, so we did some calculations around what is the total audience for a certain show, and then what percentage of each show do we guess? And there was a guess, you know, yeah. of people that would. Um, do you remember what that percentage was, by any chance? Uh, well, I we went we went with ten. Okay. And so sometimes that was like <laughs> close, and sometimes it wasn't. Um, <laughs> That's okay. So, uh, but there, so those were the kinds of things that we we started out thinking about. But I think. Um, and this is a theme that I think about a lot with the subscription is that like you we just have to try different things because all of it is new and so we can put some goals around it and we can you know but we're just we're learning and iterating as it goes along and so mm -hmm. you know some of those um, uh, some of the goals that we make now are around did we have we have we seen steady you know steady growth over time? Um, we have really consistent conversion <coughs> from our free trials to paid, right? Mm -hmm. And like looking also at those as metrics of success and like whether or not there is a value proposition for people who are in the funnel um, are different, you know, sort of other ways to look at it. Got it. Okay. And I guess, yeah, and Ray, for, for Fox, like, do you have like specific goals in mind? Yeah, I've been thinking about it a little bit differently where, you know, we're being very intentional about which shows and which brands we want to start a product for. And so the first thing is, you know, creating and describing and developing what that set of benefits is. 
and then that we believe in and we think we can go out there and sell. And then from there, we think about, okay, how much is it going to cost us from a, you know, production and expense perspective to do it? It maybe it costs a hundred thousand, maybe it costs $500,000 a year to, to produce. And then from there, we can make that, do that math and say, what percent of our show's audience do we need to convert to paid? Is that a reasonable assumption? And, you know, we're obviously at some point making a bet to say, hey, we think we can beat that number and we think this is going to be an ROI positive investment. So let's move forward. And there are shows and there are, you know, pro like there are opportunities that we've built out, we've said, here's the product, here's how much it's going to cost, and we actually look at the projections and say, that doesn't feel that reasonable for us to accomplish, and so we're going to deprioritize that as an opportunity to pursue. Interesting. Okay. And are you finding memberships are getting prioritized more often now? Yeah. I think that for us, again, it goes back to what is the thing that you're going to be excited to package and bring to market and sell, and also be excited to do for a really long time. Like we're yeah. not in this to have, you know, create bonus content for a year and then stop. We want we want this to be a really sustainable thing like Cafe Insider that can go on for three, four, five plus years. And mm -hmm. so we have to really believe in that core set of benefits and re think that we can continue to deliver that year in, year out. Got it, okay, cool, thank you. And I guess sort of like, Expand on this, right? You have these goals in place and everything, and I think Heather, this is perfectly in your wheelhouse, and I'd love to know it. You know, the CMO is that, you know, how like what was like your marketing strategy behind your membership program, behind your audiobooks that you were doing, and like, and how did you communicate that to people of like they were offering for them? Um, a lot, you know, much of what our um, marketing strategy is built around is around like the content that we're creating all the time, right? And so um, we really have pinned a lot of the marketing of subscription around new show launches, mm -hmm. seasons of returning shows, figuring out what are the ways that we can enhance that fan base, you know, for, for those particular shows. So, you know, we've done everything from feed drops in our existing shows to showcase, you know, hopefully sample people's, um, give people an appetite for what the bonus content is. Um, and then you have to go to subscribe to get the next piece of bonus content. And we do a lot of um, advertising across our network. We do use our social channels. Um, we, this is one area where I'm glad that we have a robust email program because mm -hmm. our email subscribers, you know, when you have something like, right, you you know the person's already indicated an interest in your content and your brand, um, that then to be able to offer them, we've, you know, we've done special offers for email subscribers and um, to get discounts on our direct subscription, cool. um, things like that. Have you figured out which one has been most effective for you or anything like that, which one you feel the best about? It's, it's well, the tactic that we've found so far that has definitely been the most ex um, uh, uh, successful for us is when we're able to offer like any kind of binge benefit. Like okay. that is the thing that people really seem to resonate. There was a, the first one that we tried, um, it was the end of last year with the show that we do called Lost Hills because of the production schedule. And I think we're going to talk about challenges at a certain We point. are, yeah, we and, are. And trying to match up production schedules with what a subscription pro program needs is one of the challenges I'll review <laughs> for you. Okay, okay hold and, on that, yeah, so good. But uh, so because of the way the production was coming together, we couldn't offer a full binge, but we came up with this thing where we were like, okay, we can off, you can binge the last three episodes 
if as a subscriber. Yeah. Um, and I was very skeptical of that because it is a complicated like value proposition to offer. It was hard to express succinctly. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't know about this. But we tried it and it worked, right? Like yeah. it worked really well. And since then we have had the opportunity to do full binges of shows and it really like it just exponentially is like really something that people are interested in. I think that does seem like a clear value. Um, and uh, you know, I think the streaming world has made people feel like binging is a thing you want to do. Binging and so the, yeah. that's been That's, that's cool been that successful. that's like become part of like the marketing strategy itself. And I think that's some of the fun of a membership, right? Is like some of yeah. the benefits that you do can become part of the marketing strategy, right? The yeah. actual benefits themselves. So I guess, you know, lead on your end for NPR, like what are some of like the marketing strategies that you use for, for your membership? Yeah, so up until pretty recently, sponsor free was the primary benefit across mm -hmm. most of our shows, which as Ray acknowledged, and I think we all here know is, you know, it's sort of the minimum you want to be able to offer, right? It's not going to convert people at the levels that we need them to. So while there was certainly marketing, we didn't have a great, um, we didn't have a great ask basically of the of the listener as to what they yeah. were going to get. Um, so a lot of our work in the last six months has honestly been just about optimizing and pulling the levers that we already have, but maybe hadn't been utilizing as much. So um, as Heather was saying, you know, we have uh, shows with highly engaged email lists, Facebook groups. Yeah. Um, we have shows that sell merch like Planet Money. We've started experimenting with sweepstakes. So um, we have a lot of different kind of pools that we're playing in. But it is, you know, it is somewhat experimental. We're, we're learning every time as we go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, central. Also, I mean, it's a new part of the industry, right? And I guess, David, can you speak maybe a little bit to sort of like Slate's marketing strategies and everything? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's sort of the laundry list of, you know, email and social. Slate has a very popular homepage, and so that was a big driver for us. But I think, you know, the number one, um, once we really kind of like honed in on the audio benefits as, as being like, you know, the, the number one driver for a period of years of new subscriptions um, was around, uh, you know, sort of the compelling host read ad, uh, you know, for the program. And having a, the hosts who were bought in who really wanted you to join because you were going to support the show, but that's just, you know, just the, the bare minimum, but because you were, you know, you were going to get access to this bonus content that they put their heart and soul into and it's really worth paying for and they're going to keep doing that every week. And um, you know when when we uh, when we really um, kind of emphasize the extra content that people are getting, um, you know I think that really moved the needle. That has moved the needle more than anything else. Yeah. So that was like a shift in strategy. Would you say over time? I think it was. You know, it required a change to like production workflows. So you know, you couldn't just do the same show you had always done and say, oh, but well, you know, and then email people and say yeah. we have a membership. Um, but it was actually the hosts every single week. You know, having it as part of their uh, part of their script, like to pitch pitch Slate Plus and you know hear the fourth segment of this of this episode or hear the extended interview with yeah. Dick Cavett or whatever. Um, One of those things that was honed over time, a little bit, like you were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess yeah, our, yeah. Ours is kind of similar to yours, but but a little bit more involved, just because the cafe, the stay tuned, um, and cafe sort of content. Um, uh, you know, we have the free episode that goes out um, every week, and then there's the behind the paywall episode. And so most weeks, we actually take an excerpt of the. Um, behind the paywall episode and drop it, you know, as a standalone episode in the bigger feed. That that has been consistently just a really reliable driver of new subscriptions. And nice. and part of it is it does give everyone the opportunity to better understand what they're gonna get, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 
for example, in that weekly chat show, there will be three segments, and we'll, the first segment will be free. And then they are going to allude to the second and third segment. And if you know, if you want to hear about you know some of the legal basis of the FBI's search of Mar-a-Lago and this really interesting discussion that you're going to get here and nowhere else, you're going to have to subscribe. Did, can I ask? Did you guys? Um I mean, maybe this is, you know, no longer an issue, but it might have been, you know, or before Cafe was part of Vox, but did you hear a lot of, like, you know, angry emails and, and uh, tweets from people who were like, what, you're cutting off, you know, my access in the middle of the show? Like, it feels cruel. Like, that, that's something that we hear at Supporting Cast that some people, because we recommend this strategy all the time, it also has worked very well for Slate, um, you know, that they're worried about that, and that, you know, sometimes they have evidence to back it up, that people get pissed off about it. Yeah, there's two things. One is um, w because w it was never fully free and we weren't taking something away, I think that takes a little bit of the volume of the complaints out. I think if people are used to getting an episode free every week and then all of a sudden half of it is cut off and you can't listen to it, I can imagine a huge number of complaints. So that's, that's one is just, you know, we never gave it for free as, mm -hmm. a, as a regularly as a product. And the second thing is when there's, a, there's public sort of national public interest in a topic, or if there's something really relevant or compelling about that week's chat show that's usually behind the paywall, but for you know the interest of sort of public discussion and debate. Um, for example, when um, the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago a few weeks ago, we took the paywall down for that episode to say, hey, look, this is normally behind our paywall, it's for subscribers only, but because we want everyone to hear this discussion, um, you can hear it in the feed and you can hear the whole thing. And if you want to hear more every week, please subscribe. And that's also helped, I think, take the sting out of, uh, you know, we're, we're keeping this behind the paywall and only for people who are paying for this um, subscription. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a, it's actually like a cool marketing tactic in and of itself. I know it's like you're doing the right thing, right? But doing the right thing seems like that's a really cool way to approach membership, additive rather than redactive. So I guess, um, Heather, I'd love to, you know, talking with you too, you were talking about consumer perceptions before and things like that, but I would love to know maybe it's like some of the challenges that you had when you didn't launch. Like, that would be great to... Um, it was so much more um, complicated operationally than I, like, thought. I, I just didn't, you know, we are now publishing episodes into three different platforms mm -hmm. to maintain um, all of the ways that they are delivered and presented to the public. And that just, you know, and is it a WAV file versus the MP3 and, like, just figuring out all these things. Um, establishing the process was hard. Um, and then I think understanding how things are presented to people differently on different platforms, mm -hmm. that was also a challenge. We spent a lot of time trying to figure out what to call things, um, <laughs> you know, how to label them, how to make it clear that this is an exclusive content versus, you know, and what do, do we call this a bonus episode or what, you know, all these kinds of like nuances that seem very, very in the weeds, but consistency with them is really important because you have to develop a habit for people. Yeah. And if you're, you know, if it's not clear, then it's really, um, then it's even more challenging. Yeah. Um, and troubleshooting. 
you know, we would get the angry tweet, right? <laughs> and then it would seem like everybody would be like, oh my God, like what's happening? We have to fix it. Yeah. And, and it just like is a little disruptive to the day-to-day -day work that we're doing. And you're dealing doing, with some customer right? service issues. Because that we're, we're mm -hmm. doing some, some customer service issues around, around that. It's not even really customer service, but it's just us also trying to understand the totality of the environment and mm -hmm. the totality of like how all the touch points where people are going to see subscription or not subscription and have that like, Got like I'm not. I don't want to pay for revisionist history. It's like you're not paying. You, it's free. Like, yeah. It's so free. And so nice challenges, right. but you've like smoothed them out over the years, right? That's yeah. Sort of I think it's it's mm -hmm. getting it's getting better. Yeah. Cool. And I guess you know I'd love to know like some of the challenges for NPR from your side, especially with like all the individual show subscriptions. Like they got to be sort of unique to themselves. Yeah. I mean, I think Heather hit the nail on the head. Like operationally, it's it's pretty complex. We've had to staff up to. Uh, do everything to the standard that we want it to be done and to make sure that uh, we're serving people who are paying uh, correctly and also to allow producers to focus on the creation of the content and not the delivery of the content. Um, so that's definitely been uh, a change that we have had to make. Um, I think just industry-wide, everybody's used to getting podcasts for free and that's perhaps even heightened in public media, right? So I think we have an additional challenge of both internally and with our audience wrestling with what does it mean to be in public media and to have content that is only available to supporters. Um, I think we will get there. I mean, we are, are already there in some instances, but there is a more sort of existential idea underpinning that mm -hmm. than there is perhaps for other organizations. Uh, so those are those are two pretty big ones, and the last one, it's not my department, but um, asking people to make more is hard. You know, yeah. creators are stretched thin; they're already, you know, doing very intensive work, meeting tight deadlines. Um, so to to go into the room and say, actually, we need one more piece of content, yeah. um, you know, you don't want to be the most hated person in the room. <laughs> there, we have had a lot of conversations around this where. We have producers on our team who are just like they're artists, right? And what they're doing. And if you say to them, "Go make a piece of content," they're not. Their their default is, "I'm going to make something that's really, really good," which is, I'm glad because that's our company is based on making mm -hmm. really good content. Um, but you know, there's a little bit of that tension between the business office where we're like, just talking to the microphone for 10 extra minutes, yeah. you know, and that's not how a producer or necessarily a host like feels yeah. about those 10 extra minutes. So, you know, internal tension around that is definitely something that we maybe have seen. A time that's really funny. That's okay. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, and David, I guess, you know, speaking from Slate's perspective, like what have been some of the challenge and everything that you've been going? Yeah, I mean, the, the big thing with Slate, this is an, an earlier time when podcast subscriptions were not uh, the, you know, growing uh, space that they are today. Um, and so I think, you know, we just weren't sure what Slate Plus was for originally. You know, you talk about having a really clear offer. We did not have a very clear offer at first. It was like, you get a mug and you get a, you know, discount <laughs> code on merch and events, which theoretically will happen at some point. Um, and, um, and then, you know, it was kind of like this last minute thing where, you know, our then editor, um, who's also the host of one of our most popular shows, um, was like, I feel like this needs, you know, uh, a little more meat. So I want to do an extra segment of our show, and it was very much an afterthought. And but it was the thing that, like, we kind of heard the most ongoing positive feedback about. Um, and in surveys, people who, you know, who were listening to that, who had subscribed, were like much more likely to stay, remain members. And um, so, you know, for us, the challenge was less getting the audience used to this idea of getting extra content, but 
it was hosts, like, it, it was just wasn't a thing. There were like two other examples of podcasts that had even done premium audio at that point, at least in the industry now, people know that others are doing it, even yeah. if they're not, you know, have the time or the energy to do it themselves. Trailblazing in that case, right? And I guess, yeah, for... Go. I agree with all the operational challenges. I was going to bring up one specific one, um, which is we've actually had a lot of tr trouble with analytics. Um, mm. the, the reason for that is there's so many different platforms and software services that we're using, and piecing all that together has been really complex for us. So, for example, our website, we have Google Analytics data, so we can see sort of the checkout flow. We obviously have payment data for, through Braintree or Stripe. We have emails captured in MailChimp. We now are working with Apple, so we have a different set of data within the Apple Podcast subscriptions platform. You know, within the actual subscription management platform, we're tracking number of paying subscribers. Are you on a monthly or annual plan? But piecing together that whole view of a customer lifecycle, you become a listener of the podcast, and then you join our email list, then you subscribe, then you or like sign up for our subscription, and then you you know uh, renew or you churn like piecing all of that together into mm -hmm. one dashboard or one place where we can understand the full picture has been really difficult. And it's, it, it's hard to run a subscription business when you're looking at five different dashboards. So um, for us, like we've been working on building a custom in-house <laughs> kind like of unified tool dashboard. to build, bring everything together. Um, but that just adds real challenge to our day-to-day you know, running the business. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of complexities around it. But, um, you know, I guess, I know, Tia, you said we'd leave about 10 minutes. We'd love to do maybe a couple of audience questions, if that's possible, and then we'll sort of close out from there. But, yeah, so thank you very much, guys, for sort of some of the, you know, the wisdom that you shared and everything. But we'd love to spend some time to make sure that we address any questions that people have in the audience as well. Yeah. <laughs> So we spun the first season of our podcast off into a, a television series on a streaming channel. Mm -hmm. But a lot of our listeners pushed back and said, uh, we really want to watch this, but we can't afford another channel. Are you having any problem with sales with what you're doing because people are feeling they're oversubscribed, there's a recession coming along? And I'm curious, what's your conversion rate? So... Um I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't have any like hard data on that, right? Because we don't. It's not like we had a subscription program for a long time and then saw the rise of other streaming services and then saw some kind of impact. It's something that I think about a lot, which is like, how many subscriptions does a person need? You know, and I think about it in my own life too, right? Um, and so I think that's something that are, we're uh, conscious of, and I think, um, but it's hard to like quantify. Um, our conversion rate, I'll just say the conversion rate from free trial to, um, to a paying consumer is around 75%. And that has been from day one, like until today. And so I feel awesome about that. <coughs> but I think it just shows, you know, that there is a, there is a, for a core group of people, there's a certain amount of like confidence in the brand of the company. So they're assured that like if they've, if they've gone that far to try, then they're, they're pretty much going to stay in. Um, but what I'd like to do is get more people who are coming to try. And that's, that's the trick of it right now. I don't worry as much about the subscription fatigue 
point because we're not trying to create a mass market product that's going to get a million or millions of subscribers, right? We are offering for, you know, you are a super fan of this host and this show and you want more of that person. Like, you can't get that anywhere else. Like, if you want to hear Preet, just not to pick on Preet and Cafe, but if you want to hear Preet talk every week about the latest legal and politics news, you can't get that anywhere else. There's going to be a universe of tens of thousands of people who are willing to pay for that content, not at least for right now, probably not millions. Um, so I worry a little bit less because those people I don't think are looking at it like Netflix versus, you know, this very specific subscription. Yeah, I would add, uh, I think across all supporting cast clients, not one has ever had like a second year where they had fewer subscribers or less revenue than their first year. In most cases, they're up, you know, significantly 30, 50%, sometimes uh, quite a bit more than that. Um, so, you know, the conversion rate, uh, I mean, there's, you know, there's some general kind of research out there and you know, published numbers, but, you know, I think it all depends on what you're offering. What we see in putting on my supporting cast uh, client uh, or hat here um, is, you know, for an ad-free offering only, you might get half a percent, one percent of your audience. For, if, for really meaningful bonus content, you, you know, they can get, get as high as five, eight percent of your audience, of your unique listeners. Um, for somebody who's willing to, for a show that's willing to paywall the majority of its content, which is very unusual these days, but we do have a few uh, uh, or bigger customers who are doing that uh, in terms of revenue and membership, um, you know, they can get 20% and higher. Um, so it, it really is, are you, what do you, what do people feel they're getting for their money? Like, if someone's spending hours and hours on this content every week, I, I feel better about paying, you know, 10, 12 bucks a month for it. Yeah. I think we have time for another quick uh, question. Yeah. So my question is for Ray. Um, so you mentioned you've looked at some initiatives where your projections in terms of monetizing the content relative to the cost structure just didn't make sense. So I was wondering if you could um, say more about what goes into that assessment and, and what do people typically miss either on the side of over-projecting or under-projecting? Yeah, so... Um I think the first step for us when we're actually looking at whether that conversion is reasonable is, is looking at, you know, working with, for example, those stats that David rattled off, depending on what those benefits are, let's say your conversion is, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of one to 10%. Um, you know, I, let's make up just sort of rough numbers, but let's say it costs you half a million dollars to produce and develop and run the product that you're really excited about offering, but your show size and the conversion rate that you're estimating is just, it's just gonna be hard to get there in revenue, that that's sort of where we decide that's not worth our investment of time. Maybe that's something we pick up later once we have a little bit more data under our belt and experience in running this product. Maybe once the audience for that show has grown a little bit, but in terms of what we wanna prioritize this year, next year, you know, if we are a little bit uncertain around that payback period, we're gonna deprioritize that show. Great, and I think there was a question of, or, yeah. Ross Brendel with Hubbard Broadcasting. First off, thank you all for being here. This has been very helpful to me and the nice gentleman sitting next to me. We're actually about to launch a membership program in a few weeks that's been Congrats. months, if not years in the making. So I could talk for 55 minutes with you guys, but I won't. Biggest, um, I got, actually, I'll do this one. On the back end, 
How much goes in on the back end as far as a, a time commitment as percentage when it comes to potential fulfillment, client issues? And do you have one person handling that? Do you have a lot of different people that handle that? Who's taking the brunt of maybe any sort of question, comment, or concern that comes in on the back end? You're Thank you again. Specifically about customer service, basically, like for listeners? Yep. Okay. Um, for us, we have like one and a half people, I would say, who handle sort of customer-facing uh, inquiries that come in through social media, email, et cetera. Um, one of the great benefits of working with Supporting Cast <laughs> is that they also, they offer customer support. So on um, our direct subscription and on the audiobook sales that we do, um, they really help facilitate that process when there is, um, when there is any um, issues that come up. But I will say on our audiobook side, we did a survey of the people who bought audiobooks from us, and, you know, 67% of the people that responded said that they found the process of, of buying an audiobooks from us um, either very, very easy or mostly easy, and that I attribute to, like, having a good technology and a good user experience that, that drives it. And I was going to, I'll say two things. One is um, that it's less about the volume of customer service inquiries than the fact that they come in every day. So, so you have to have a resource, someone who's tasked with dealing with that inflow on a regular basis, and it's not going to be, you know, uh, de uh, depends on the size of the customer base, obviously, but it might not necessarily be that person's full-time job. It probably won't be, but it will come in every day. That's one. The, the second point I wanted to bring up is just like, you know, eight, let's, for, in our experience, somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 to 90% of those inquiries are pretty easy to answer. And so building in some sort of tools, macros, you know, automated responses to sort of quickly sift through that and then really focus the energy on the 10% of inquiries that are a little bit more complex that require people to go and look in multiple systems to resolve. That's really where I think people will spend, you'll spend the bulk of your time, even though that's, you know, a, a significant minority of the overall number of inquiries. Yeah, cool. I'll say, I think we're over time here, so we'll do real quick, we'll wrap this up. If you could give just a one sentence advice for, like, anyone starting off a membership program, what would that be? Just real quick. Keep it simple and make your, what is your core promise, like, and then just stick to fulfilling that promise. Cool, okay. Uh, match, match the benefit to what your audience wants to see. Uh, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Just get something out the door, and you can uh, uh, iterate on it and learn and, and, and grow. It'll build on itself with time. Cool. And mine is uh, create value that's worth paying for. Love it. Cool. Well, thank you very much, everybody, and thank you, everyone, for coming to our panel here today.